He's risen. He's risen. Now, you may or may not know that's a tradition that comes from the early church where one would say he is risen. The response would be he's risen indeed. And we are the kind of church where you can talk back to the person on stage. So if you're here for the first time, I just want to get you familiar with a little bit of talking back to this day. Just not disrespectful. If you, you know, it, I guess it could get disrespectful, but we don't do that. <laughs> but so let's, let's try one more time. He is risen. He is risen when I say risen, you, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> nope. That would have been my last Easter on staff at Grace Covenant. <laughs> my name is David. I'm the site pastor here at Grace Covenant in Sterling. We're so glad to have you with us. Thank you for worshiping, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus with us today. Uh, I know we've got a lot of our Chantilly family in the house, so I want to welcome you. Welcome to Sterling, the land flowing with parking and seating. On Resurrection, we, on Sunday, we, we celebrate the veil that was torn so that we can have access to God the Father. And because you are with us here today, the veil to the back of the auditorium has also been torn open. So, we, <laughs> so thank you for being with us. <laughs> So good to be here today. Today, what we're going to look at in scripture is one of the moments, one of the first times that Jesus appeared to his disciples. And it was a startling moment for them. It was a confusing moment. It was a revelatory moment for them. But I want to bring you, I want to bring you up to speed on, on the accounts that led up to this moment that we're going to study. We will be looking in the book of Luke chapter 24, if you want to turn there ahead of time. So Jesus grew up a carpenter's boy. And learned the carpentry trade. And he, it was somewhere around, you know, and he was growing in faith. He was growing in stature. There's an account at the age of 12 where he's arguing and talking to the people in the temple. And he had understanding and wisdom beyond his age. And so he's talking to them. And then his family, he was so caught up in the conversation with these leaders, these religious leaders, that his family actually left left without him. They left him behind. And we think that it had been a couple of days because he was so caught up in the father's business, so caught up on the things of God and the kingdom of heaven that he got, he got left. I bet you he didn't even, I mean, he was God. He realized it, but he didn't realize it. His family certainly didn't realize it. They're like, who's got Joe? Who's got Jesus? Who's got Jesus? And they were like, oh, I thought he was with you. And they went back and they got him. He started, he continued to grow in stature. And then somewhere around the age of 30, his, his ministry opened up. And that's when he became the full-time preacher. You don't have to wait to be a full-time preacher to make an impact. But Jesus was about 30 years old and he started calling his disciples and he did this miracle and he was walking and he was proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven has come to earth so that you can see and know and hear who God is and what his plan and purpose is for you. And he lived this perfect life, challenging religious structure, challenging people who were pious in their outside, but it was just a front. They were far from him on the inside. The biggest thing he's got an issue with is pretense, hypocrisy. He can't stand it when people act like they love him and act like they're worshiping, but they're planning their, their own ways and their own purposes. They're planning on walking away from him. And his ministry was marked by that. 
He was a threat to the establishment. So they had him falsely tried. He actually, he, he made claims that he was God. That's what got him on trial. He messed with the economy, yes. He messed with, with government, yes. But he claimed to be God and that was his greatest offense against the Jewish leaders who put him up before the Roman government. It was blasphemy, it was heresy to claim to be God. Now if I claimed to be God, it would be a lie. I deserve whatever punishment comes with that lie. But when you're really God and you say that you're God, it's true. And that's why it was a false trial. It was false accusation because everything that he said was true. There was no deceit in him. There was no wayward way in him. So he goes before the, before the trial and he's, he's crucified. Three days later, he rises from the dead. Some of the women... Disciples, including Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and mother, the Mary, uh, mother, the mother of Mary, the mother of James, went to went to do some some rituals. And, and when they got there, the tomb was open, and Jesus was gone. And they were startled. They were they were surprised, and they had these experiences. And they ran back, and they told all the other disciples, "He's gone. He's gone. He's risen. He's he's alive. He's not there." Now, this is a big deal, and we'll get to why it's a big deal that he wasn't there a little bit later. So they go tell him. And then, so Peter and John run to investigate. Oh no, because in that time you wouldn't take a woman's, uh, a woman's testimony as being completely true. That's one of the unique things about Christianity. It's that it's built, the early church is built on the testimony of, of women. And they were like, my goodness, let's go see if this is true. Where in any other religion it would have been like, oh, you crazy. Let's go see if this is indeed true. Let's go. And so they ran there and they go and they find it empty. Cleopas and another disciple are walking away from Jerusalem, no, no doubt heartbroken, no doubt devastated by the fact that this guy who was going to deliver them from Rome has been killed, he's been murdered, and now he's, now he's, he's dead. Because when you're dead, you stay dead. Not really a deep statement. It was just really an observation that dead people stay dead. And so, so they're dead. And so Jesus pops up on the road with them. We talked about this last Easter. They're just walking along. They're like, oh man. You know, kind of like how you feel when you, you go to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm going to have to go to Wendy's, you know, oh, <laughs> you know, it's, it, I didn't compare the resurrection to Chick-fil-A, but you're with me. You're, you're flowing. We're tracking. So they're disappointed. They're dejected. And they're going to Wendy's. <laughs> they're going to Emmaus. And Jesus pops up and he's like, hey guys, how's it going? Like, what? And he starts to unveil everything to them about what he was doing and why he had, why he had to die and how he resurrected. And they're like, wait a second. Everything in the Old Testament is really about you? He's like, yeah. It's all about me. So Cleopas and the other disciple, they run back. They're like, hold up. We got to go tell everybody else. They run back to Jerusalem and they gather up with all the other disciples. And they're sitting there and Cleopas and the other disciple were no doubt excited. And, oh, you, Jesus showed up. Jesus, we were walking. We were going. Chick-fil-A was closed. And we were going. And Jesus showed up. And he told us, not only is it open, but it's open forever. And, <laughs> and everything's going to be okay. I got to get off Chick-fil-A. So he's going, and, and, and so they're, they're excited and startled and, and telling, you know, telling the other disciples he's alive. And they're like, what you talking about, Cleopas? 
And they, and they, I shouldn't have done that. Stick to the notes. And that interesting transition brings us to the word. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 43. <laughs> it's a lot of text, and so I'm going to break it up into three primary parts. We're going to look at the information, then the revelation, and then the transformation. Luke chapter 24, verses 36. First, we're going to look at, we're going to stop at, um, we'll stop at, what are we stop at? Let's stop first at verse 43. That's a good place to stop. I'm not actually dividing 43. We're going to read more scripture after that. I just, that's what I get for reading my notes. I tried to get off the Chick-fil-A and the Cleopas joke. And just, as they were talking about these things, the Cleopas, the news that he brought them and what the women had seen and what Peter and John had experienced, Jesus himself stood among them and said to him, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while, he, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? Yes, Jesus. <laughs> they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. This is God's word to us. Father, help us open our eyes to see our ears, to hear our hearts and minds, to understand the reason for your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. So we learn a couple things in here, uh, including that apparently conquering sin and death makes a man hungry <laughs> and that Jesus likes to just show up in people's lives, even when they don't expect it. Jesus wants to just show up, uninvited but invited. In this case, they were talking about him. They were having a conversation about it. They were wrestling with it. And he knows that because he's God and he feels it. He knows that they're wrestling with it. So he's like, hey, I got a real treat for him. I'm gonna show up. Again, in a locked room. Jesus will show up in the locked rooms of your heart. If you take the, the faith and courage to step out and to talk about him and to learn about him and to wrestle with the questions that you have, with the doubts that you have. It didn't say that they were fully in faith when Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up when they were doubting and they were terrified. We learn in another, in another passage that they were terrified of the Jews. They had been identifying so publicly with this man who died a criminal's death. They were like, what happens to us now? We wouldn't have been so public about it if we had known he was going to die like that. We kept that a little bit of a secret. The information was plain for everybody. The body's gone. It had gone missing from the grave when they were wrestling with the facts. The fact is that he lived a real life, that he died and his body was gone. And he started showing himself to people. And then Jesus pops up and he's like, peace to you. I love it's an exclamation point. Peace to you. <laughs> they were frightened. Jesus says, what's the matter? And they're like, other than the fact that we saw you get killed and now you're alive in this locked room 
In front of us, nothing really. Everything's great. So Jesus pops up in the middle of them, startles them. And, but God asks these questions, what's the matter? Not for his own benefit, but for their benefit. What's the matter this morning? What's the matter this morning that has stirred a need in your soul and in your spirit and your mind for Jesus to show up? What's the matter this morning? Is it a broken marriage that needs resurrection? Is it broken finances? Is it addiction? What's the matter? Jesus has known all along. He's asking for their benefit. I remember a time where I was very, very angry. Not like one time. That happens. It was a season <laughs> where I was very, very angry. And I sat down with one of the pastors and, and he, he asked me, he said, so, so what's wrong? I said, well, I'm frustrated. He goes, you're not frustrated. He goes, what's wrong? Just, I'm, I'm irritated. What's wrong? I'm angry. See, good Christians, they don't get angry. So I wasn't going to admit that I was angry. But when you don't admit what's wrong, if you don't, then the medicine can't get to it. We think a whole lot of other things are what's wrong. And so we apply the wrong solution to it. I just need more money. I just need a different boyfriend, a different girlfriend. I just, I just need a different wife, a different husband. I just need a different house. I need a different car. I need a different place to worship at. I need a different this. I need a different that. What's wrong? What's really wrong? And when we can confess, when we can identify and recognize what is really wrong, then the solution can be applied correctly. I once lied to a doctor about my symptoms. Because <laughs> they were embarrassing and I got the wrong solution. Made things worse. And then I didn't care about being embarrassed anymore. I just wanted to be better. <laughs> For you that don't believe today, what are your questions? What are the things that have kept you back from acknowledging and following Jesus Christ? For those of you who believe... What are those questions that have prevented you from following? What are those questions that have kept you from committing? I understand some of you who are here, who are here today, you feel like you have incomplete information. They had all that information. They saw the empty grave. They talked to the people who saw it. They, they had all these experiences. It was all happening around them. If only you had more information. The problem with more information is that you will never have all of the information about anything. Regardless of how much of a subject matter expert you become in your life in any area, you will never have all knowledge. And at some point, we all have to take a step with just what we know. I mean, it's an intellectual reality that we can't have all knowledge. All we can have is partial knowledge, but it's also a reality that we've got to step and stand on what we know at one point or another. My dad used to joke with me and he's like, you want to know why they call it medical practice? Because they're practicing. 
They don't have it all figured out. They'll know more next year than they know this year and more in 15 years than they know now. I saw an advertisement this week from 1970 where they were saying, eat sugar before dinner so that you don't go to dinner as hungry. That's helpful. It's like, eat chicken before chicken. It's not like that at all. That was terrible. Because chicken is really good for you. At some point, you got to make a decision. I'm so happy that my wife did not have full information about me before she said I do. I'm a happy man. (laughs) Gentlemen, you should be happy also. And ladies, you are far, far, far better than we ever dreamed or imagined you could be. That's a great opportunity to amen, fellas. I'm helping you. Just helping you. If you haven't talked back yet today, talk back there. There we go, Sean. (laughs) Better than we ever could have imagined. We had partial information. It's like, hey, babe, I'm broke. I'm in college. I'm working nights at FedEx. Want to get married? It'll be fun. We'll be able to pay most of our bills most of the time. We'll just be in love. (laughs) can't pay the electric bill with love hey dominion yeah just want to let you know i love my wife (laughs) yeah that's nice sir send me a check some of y'all have tainted information the information you heard about jesus the resurrected king and you went to church and you were disappointed by what you saw You heard somebody in your school say that they were a Christian and they were out in the club drinking and they were acting foolish and they were acting up. Maybe it was you who was acting foolish and you feel humiliated because you were a hypocrite and you can't stand the idea of walking back in because you're afraid you're going to mess up again. You've got tainted information. The reality of the gospel was true to you at one point, but then you got heartbroken because of the pain of life. Like, I just don't know if I can give myself to that. Just because there's... Just because there's a film of sin or a film of humanity or a film of pain or of doubt on it doesn't change the fact that underneath all of that, it's still true. I can't stand in front of Jesus someday. And he goes, David, why didn't you follow me? Because he hurt my feelings. Because that pastor has a plane and I don't think that's right. Because a whole lot of really bad stuff has happened in the name of God. Go do some good stuff in the name of God. I can't not respond because somebody else might not know yet. And somebody else might not yet have had an opportunity to respond yet. If what's holding you back is that other people don't know yet. Make that the first thing you do. Take that message. That's what he tells them to do at the end of this passage. Today we've got, and some of y'all had bad information. Let me just say that. Some of y'all had bad information. Some of y'all just had flat out wrong information. People are talking about this thing called Chrislam, where Islam and Christianity, people are merging it together because we want to get along and we want to be friends. And so let's compromise somewhere. Let's just 
let's just make this work because it feels like that's the thing that keeps us apart from one another. Let's just merge it together. Well, there's, there's a problem. The resurrection. It, it, can't, it can't merge. When the declaration is that Jesus Christ died, an actual death, was buried in an actual burial and actually rose from the dead for the salvation of our sins. That can't merge with anything else. That can't merge with good behavior. That can't merge with giving a lot of money. That can't merge with planting a lot of trees or recycling or doing whatever it is that you think is good. Walking old ladies across the street, giving a little extra at the Chick-fil-A fundraiser. Here are the facts that we have. Jesus lived, he died, was buried, was put under guard. The tomb was sealed, not just with a rock, but because he was under Roman guard, the, se- the tomb would have been sealed. In addition to that, it would have put like, a, like you do with a, a wax on a letter. They would have crimped it, but it would have been different because it was a tomb. They sealed it and there would have been verification that it was sealed and it was closed because the Romans don't want to be made fools of. He resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us that after the resurrection, he showed up to over 500 people. It's hard to fake an appearance to 500 people. There's not quite 500 people here today, but it'd be, it'd be tough for somebody to say that somebody else stood up here on the stage and preached here today. Because we've had witnesses of it. You can't take it away. Sure, maybe it happened somewhere else, but what happened here is David stood up and shared some stuff. The fearful group of disciples after the resurrection became bold. And the church grew despite the fact that Jerusalem was the one place that you don't want to... If you want to start a false religion, (laughs) I don't recommend it. But don't do it in the primary place that it would be squelched. If you want to tell a lie about what someone has done, don't do it in the city where everybody can disprove it. So Jesus rose from the dead. They could have just walked right on over to the tomb. You mean this Jesus, the one in there? They, if there was a body to be shown, if he wasn't actually showing himself to a lot of people, they could have just offed someone else and put him in the tomb and said, there he is. He was beaten badly enough. He was scourged and his beard ripped out. He, they could have just done that to somebody else and put him in the tomb and said, see, there he is. Case closed, it's dead. But they couldn't because he was showing himself to everybody. You can't tell somebody David's not real. I'm going to be a Chick-fil-A tomorrow. (laughs) First thing. (laughs) They doubted and feared because they didn't realize quite yet what had happened. So Jesus was there, but why? How? There we jump into verses 44 through 48. Then he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you. He's like, hey, remember all those conversations that we had? And I told you I was going to die in resident. And I was, this is that. I'm doing it right now in front of you. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be pro- fulfilled. That's everything to the left of the book of Matthew and the Bible. The Old Testament, that sometimes we feel like, oh, why do I read the Old Testament? It's like the mean, angry God. No, all of that points to Jesus. Amen. That's why we go to the Old Testament. That's why it's so critical for us. It teaches us about the plan of salvation, about God's coming salvation. It teaches us about Jesus. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to him, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from right here in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. That's the revelation. God opened their minds to understand everything that they had already experienced. Much like when you watch a movie and it's got a surprise ending and then you've got to think through the whole movie again to figure out what really happened. You expected this to happen because you didn't understand what you were seeing the whole movie. You thought you knew what you were seeing. The reality that you were perceiving wasn't true. Or wasn't the truest. And so here he is unveiling all these little campfire conversations. And as they were walking, remember when I said this? That's what I meant. Remember when I forgave those sins? Yeah, I really meant it because I'm God. Remember when I said this? That wasn't hyperbole. It's really going to happen. Remember that? It was not an exaggeration. Remember that? Yeah, that's real. Remember that guy we raised from the dead? Yeah. Well, bad news is he's going to die again, but then he'll live forever. And that's the good news. Jesus gives life to their knowledge. He opens their mind to understand everything that they had heard and seen and experienced. You have knowledge of God. You have information of God today. What God wants to do is open your mind to the reality of his kingdom and let you and give life to the information that you have so that it become, becomes a saving grace to you. If it just stays as information, it has no power. For you. It's still powerful for someone else who would believe. If you just leave it as information that it's Easter Sunday, we're celebrating the resurrection, there's a fact that this guy lived that can't be denied. There's a fact that this guy was killed that can't be denied. There's this fact that he resurrected from the dead, and by all the evidence, it cannot be denied. Without a revelation, it means nothing. To have all the information is to see a, a bottle of medicine on the counter and be like, yes, that bottle is full of chemical compounds in white chalky form. If I, that's information. To have revelation is to say, if I put those chemicals and that white chalky stuff in my body, it's going to help me with the symptoms. My back won't hurt as much. My cough is going to go, my, my cough will be suppressed or whatever's going to happen. My, my infection will go away if I just take what's in that bottle and I put it inside of me. To have information is to know that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead or at least to acknowledge it as a historically significant thing. To have revelation is to understand that he did it so that you could live forever. To have revelation is to understand that the reason that he died and rose from the dead is so that you could be healed from the cancer of sin. So that you could be healed from the cancer of pain. So that every tear will be wiped away. So that you can have hope and endurance and joy in this life. And an expectation for eternity with him. I believe that right now even God is opening up and making that connection for you and you're starting to understand the significance of the resurrection. Even in this moment, you're starting to realize, oh, I've got to wrestle with the, the facts. And facts are facts. And if you, want to, if you want to talk about facts, I'll buy you some coffee. 
And we can sit down and we can talk about the facts and we can, we can look at the evidence and we can look at in the Bible and we can look outside of the Bible and we can have a conversation about this. I will set up a small group for you. If there's enough of you that have this question, we'll put together a small group and we'll study and we'll go in and we'll ask these questions. We'll say, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? Let's wrestle with it. But, but the reality, but I believe that God is giving context to some of that information for you today. In verse 49, he says, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Transformation. Almost made this point, almost called it salvation. But then I'd have an acronym that said IRS. (laughs) Bad timing for that. Everybody gets stressed out. I need salvation from the IRS. <laughs> what is the promise of the Father? The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit who comes in power. At the point that we put our trust in Jesus Christ as the one who gives us life, at the point where you acknowledge that Jesus did live the life that we should have lived and that he died, and rose from the dead. And you say, God, I'm, I'm not going to rely on my own merit, on my own standing. But I'm going to trust in you. You are saved. And if God just left it at that, it would be amazing. But he goes beyond that. And he offers us his Holy Spirit to transform us and to give us power to live godly in this present age. I feel like I should illustrate salvation real quick. Philip, can I get you? And Pastor Sean, can I have you? Go ahead and come on up. Which one should be God? Let's take a vote. We'll go Sean. You got the white. All right, you ready? So Sean, you're the judge. You're a righteous judge, as you can, it's it's obvious. You're going to be my advocate. And I'll be the sinner because that's also obvious. (laughs) The whole thing about salvation is that there's a legal problem and the legal problem is called sin. This legal problem is called sin that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. When we stand before Jesus, because he is the resurrected king, we're going to stand in front of him, and the judge is going to ask, by what merit do you stand? And in that moment, I either have to say, I stand because I recycled a lot of things. I gave a lot of money. I did a lot of good things. I tried my hardest. I was a good guy the best I knew how. There's no amount of moral solutions to a spiritual problem. The scale can't be tipped. So I did a lot of good things. Judge, I did a lot of good things. But I understand that's not satisfactory. So my buddy Philip, my advocate, he's going to die for me. (laughs) He's going to die for me. He's going to die for me, Judge. He he volunteered. I volunteered him for that, really. But he, 
He wants to in his heart. He just doesn't know it yet. He can't accept it. He can't accept it. Hey, David, that's a really good idea. Great thought. But Philip's got his own sins that he needs to die for. You can, didn't mean to throw you on the ground. It's this pink shirt. Gives me super strength. It's actually, if you're watching on Facebook, it's, it's salmon. Colored. The lights makes it pinkish. He can't do anything for me because he's already sinned. But what happens if somebody comes up and says, I've never sinned? Judge, I'll stand in his place. That would be my wife. If we were doing this. But Jesus is a man, so that doesn't work. Stands in place and says, I'll die David's death on his behalf. I can stand in his place. I can take his punishment because I need no punishment of my own. That's the reason why. That's the significance of the resurrection. And for you who are walking with Jesus, gentlemen, thank you. You can be seated. For those of you who are already walking with Jesus, don't feel like you're off the hook just because it's Easter Sunday and you gave your life to Christ 20 years ago. You're not off the hook. There are areas of your life where you need to acknowledge the salvation of Jesus. Where you need to invite the power of his Holy Spirit to come in and convict, to come in and bring life to and give birth to in you. Father, help us today to celebrate your resurrection. God, open our eyes to see our ears, to hear our hearts, to understand what you're speaking right now in this moment. Heal us, God. We invite your Holy Spirit to change us and transform us. If you want to surrender your life to Jesus on this Easter Sunday, can you raise your hand so I can pray with you? See that hand? If you raised your hand or you wanted to but didn't, just pray this prayer with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, today I acknowledge that you died and rose from the dead so that I could be made new. I make a decision today not to stand on my own merit, but for you to stand in my place. I won't live according to my own good deeds, my own righteousness, my own efforts anymore but by what you accomplished on the cross on my behalf. In Jesus' name.